boat building is a lesson in patience. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the best podcast on earth about nonsense. I am Chris Cash from Mount Phillip Metalworks, joined by my co-host Roy, the psychopath Scott. Today we are joined by a very, very special guest. This man is an artist. He is a craftsman. And you wood guys are going to go nuts over this man. <laughs> Trent Pressler from Long Island, New York. You are a canoe builder, an artist, a craftsman, a author. The list goes on and on and on and on and on. Oh, my God. That's that's quite an intro. And also, (laughs) the very first time he's ever been on a podcast. This dude has had tons of of articles written about him. Wall Street Journal, New York Times, and he's on the Axe and Iron podcast. First (laughs) ever fucking show. So thank you. Hey, let's get into it. Thanks for yeah. having me. Yeah, I'm like a podcast virgin. Is that a there thing? There you go. I guess so. I guess so. <laughs> You're popping my podcast chair. Oh, my there God. Go. I love uh, it. So let's try, go. Tell us about yourself. I know a little bit about you from reading on your, your bio about yourself. You, you grew up yeah. in South Dakota. You went to a one-room schoolhouse. Yeah, yeah. Isn't and now you live talk? in – Yeah. Yeah. Now you live in <laughs> Long Island. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I know. Like, how did I get from point A to point B? Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. Give us a story. You can go back as far as you want, or you know, you can start from where yeah, you are. Yeah. Well, today. Um, my dad was a, a cattle rancher in South Dakota, in the northwest corner of the state, over by Montana. Um, he's a, he was a rodeo star in the '60s. He was a, a champion in the rodeo, wow. and and uh, I grew up on a ranch. We had about ten thousand acres. And um, I went to a one-room schoolhouse. We had I had eight classmates, and um, you know I didn't really know much about the outside world. Like we got one TV channel. Uh, when Dad would like, he would have to crawl onto the roof of the house and turn the antennae to face Denver so that we could <laughs> <laughs> go <laughs> move then, the rabbit ears. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. and then, then we got PBS, and I could watch like Hee Haw or The Grand Ole yeah. Opry, basically. Okay. Yeah. That sounds wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> Just like Minnie Pearl. She had that like tricep. Oh, yeah, yeah, hat. yeah. She was cuckoo. If you watch those shows today in the context of like reality TV, oh, you, yeah, it's, it's amazing. Like yeah. I recently went back and watched like a YouTube video of Hee Haw. And I was like, these people are fucking crazy. Yeah. Right. Hilarious. But yeah. anyway. So, yeah, I grew up out there and um, and. Then I, I kind of most kids in South Dakota that have any wits about them leave. Um, it's not it's not a knock in South Dakota. I think it's a beautiful state. Um, right. But there's just not a lot if, unless you're going to be a rancher, or farmer, or you know work in healthcare. There's not a lot there. So I went to Iowa State for college and then um, ended up uh, moving out to New York. I got a master's and PhD from Cornell in horticulture, in botany. And Thank that's you. That's what, amazing. Amazing. You're the most yeah, educated, most educated guest we've ever had on here. That's really cool. That's really cool. So you went, you went to get a master's and PhD in horticulture. Yeah. Or what was your reasoning behind that? Well, you know, in some ways like farming and agriculture was all I'd ever known. Right. Yeah. And like as much as I didn't want to be like my dad, cause we had right. our, our issues a lot right. in adulthood. Like there's some genetic thing where it was like, I couldn't escape my roots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> And I, you know, and I love plants. One of the, my favorite stories about dad, which was actually not 
in the book. Um, I'm saving it, maybe for the second book. We'll see. Oh shit! But, uh, <laughs> Spoiler alert. Oh my god! Yeah, look out. Um, for my eighth birthday, he gave me a giant Folgers coffee can full of seeds, and okay. it was like you know, like the old school coffee cans where you had to use the mm-hmm. opener to get them uh-huh. cut your hand open, and it was just full of mixed up garden seeds. Like I didn't know what was what. And, okay. um, and he plowed up an acre of land and he said, here's your garden patch. And so I didn't know. I just like started throwing the seeds by like the handful all around. And they sprouted like it was a disaster. You know, I had like corn mm-hmm. growing next to watermelon, next to beans. And um, so then every year, basically in childhood, he gave me the same thing, which was like the coffee can of seeds. And I learned how to like sort the seeds according to species. And no kidding. Um, like figured it out like oh okay the black seeds are all watermelon and the mm-hmm. yellow ones are corn and so then every year it was like this science project for me to separate so, out the seeds so seriously that was my... straight seriously straight up chris would be fucked it would never ever <laughs> yeah. come into a garden at all <laughs> at what age for your birthday did you get the coffee can filled with marijuana seeds <laughs> <laughs> Was that oh my 16 God. or 18? <laughs> you know, when, when I was 14, I had this kooky uncle named John. And he, yeah. he lived like he was. Everybody a, has an Uncle John. Oh Everybody my. has a kooky Uncle John. He lives in Brule, South Dakota, and he's a line cook at a, at a truck stop on the interstate okay. like, for his whole life. Of and course he, grows, he is. Yeah, of right? course he is. And he grows a lot of pot. And, right. Um, like. He always took me fishing as a kid, and and one time I came home from fishing, and like at probably I think I was twelve or thirteen, just reeking of pot. Yeah. Oh my god! Because <laughs> he smoked it, but I didn't yeah. even know what it was. I thought he was right. smoking cigarettes or whatever. Right. And my mom and dad just flipped out, like, no "What kidding. was Uncle John doing with you?" I was like, "I don't know. I, I don't know." Bass. It was really fun. I don't know, but I'm really hungry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Past the Doritos. Oh my god. Uh, so anyway, he grew lots of pot. I sh- I don't know. We could talk about that, but That's like in funny. the ditches and like he would. Uh, anyway, it was sort of he had all kinds of hidden spots all over the place. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's like hilarious. Go cultivate, and you see that in the ditches in South Dakota. They call it ditch weed. Yeah. Like they'll be like Ooh. suddenly in the middle of nowhere, there'll be like a perfectly cultivated patch of marijuana. Oh my god! <laughs> and you're like in no the middle kidding. of nowhere. Like, yeah. why is this ditch suddenly have pot growing in it? But there's not I mean, much else to do in South Dakota, so let's go make some ditch weed. <laughs> you know, <laughs> not a whole lot. Oh, yeah. There was this awesome story in South Dakota of these. Um, I think they were Colombian drug smugglers yeah. in like 1986. They tried to, they landed a Boeing seven something, like a large yeah. jet. Right. They flew from Colombia in the middle of the night around all the major cities and landed on the prairie in South Dakota. Oh and my it was, God. It was filled. I'll send you the internet link to this article. It's fascinating. Oh my god. And the whole thing was filled with bales of pot and coke. And they were <laughs> they were like basically landing in South Dakota and then they were going to truck it into Canada. Right? Yeah. Because no one's looking in South Dakota. Well, it was the middle of the winter and there was this whole mess of ice fishermen on the Missouri River. Right. And they saw the plane. They thought the plane crashed. So all these like all these nice these ice fishermen were like, We're gonna save their lives and they came running up to the plane like yeah. Are you okay? Oh my god. <laughs> it was like filled with Colombian drug lords. <laughs> <laughs> and now there's a bunch of rich ice fishermen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> that got bales and bales of uh, illegal weed. Oh, my God. One of the greatest stories in South Dakota history. All right, so we were planting seeds. Anyways. We went to – we studied horticulture in yeah. Cornell. Yes. And now where would we and go then, from um, So then I got a job um, working at a vineyard at a winery here okay. on Long Island. And um, – Basically, I thought I was going to go to back Cal- up a little bit. Yeah. Did you did you end up in Long Island? Because I'm assuming it's Cornell on, in Long Island. Uh, Cornell's in upstate New York. In oh, okay, called, okay. Yeah, it's in Ithaca, which is kind of like south oh. of Syracuse. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I studied, so I studied grape and uh, wine science for okay. my PhD. So I have a PhD in wine or viticulture. Um, and not well, you can't use big words like that. For, yeah. like, viticulture? Viticulture, yeah. yeah. Viticulture? <laughs> yeah, I don't even know it's what a that thing, is. dummy. Yeah, exactly. A, <laughs> the study of grapevines. I oh, mean, basically, I'm okay. a professional drunk. And so... Um, <laughs> there you go. Like, doctor Roy, drunk. you two, see, you two have something <laughs> in common, Roy. <laughs> Roy's a functioning alcoholic, and you're an it's educated... It's uh, He's an educated <laughs> drunk. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my God! Mo- moving on, let's go. So anyway, <laughs> I I was like, I'm gonna get a job, and so I sent my thesis around to like all the vineyard owners in New York State. And, right. And New York has a surprisingly big wine industry. No one really knows. It really that. does. But yeah, there's like hundreds of wineries here, and the climate's pretty good for it. And um, so one of the vineyard owners I sent it to was this guy named Michael Lynn, and at the time he was the CEO of New Line Cinema in Hollywood. Oh wow. And so, yeah. No big deal. No big deal. He was yeah. the executive producer of Lord of the Rings and Austin Powers. And Never heard oh, of him. Nerd alert. Right? Nerd alert. <laughs> like a Come few on. movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I sent him my thesis like, hello, mister. You know, I'm this 20-something and I have a smarty pants degree and will you hire me? And right. um, so to my shock, like his assistant called me a couple days later. And um, this was 2002. Uh and they flew me in for an interview, and he, he had just bought this winery in New York, in Long Island, right. um, about 100 acres. And for him, it was like a passion project, didn't need to mm-hmm. make money, you know, he was yeah. a movie guy, you know. And um, I walk in, and I'm all nervous, and I hadn't <laughs> – it's actually – there's a couple of funny parts of the story, but one, I was – You like, sold him some weed. I sold him <laughs> no. weed, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I bought ditchweed from South Dakota. You bought ditchweed, and now you guys are best friends to this day. <laughs> He's like, you're hired. Oh, my God. No, I was like, so I was in New York City. His office is like Overlook Central Park, and I was all nervous, but I had yeah. like three hours to kill before the interview. And so I did something really silly because I had never done this before, but I got a manicure. Oh, my God. <laughs> At one of those Korean spas. Yeah. And so. Uh oh. Where's so, this going? Like my hands were so lubed up, like. <laughs> yeah. And like I don't know what they fucking put on my hands. It was like engine oil or something. Right. You don't want to know. You don't want to know. Like, oh man. So I left, and I'm going to the interview, and I can't get my hands like un. Oh my god. And so you're I'm, thinking, I gotta shake this guy's hand with the exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I walk in, I shake his hand, and he kind of like flinches and looks down. Of course he does. <laughs> and I, <laughs> and I he goes, like, you've been to the Korean nail spa. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. He's like, what is that? So anyway, I, <laughs> it was an auspicious start. But um, <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Uh, interview went well. And he actually interrupted the interview to take a phone call from Jane Fonda, which was like super oh weird my goodness. And hilarious. And like, it was, uh, yeah. 
you know, anyway, I got the job and I've worked there ever since. Um, it's been, and that's Bedell Winery. Is that how you pronounce yeah, it? Yeah, Bedell Cellars, B-E-D-E-L-L. Oh, cellar, yeah. On, uh, on the North Fork of Long Island. It's actually a 40-year-old vineyard. Um, and uh, Michael had just bought it from the founder. And uh, so I came in and that was 2000, uh, I guess, uh, the winter of 2002 and three. And um, I've been there ever since. I never thought I would stay you know, 17 and now you're the CEO. Now I'm the CEO. Yeah. (laughs) That is amazing. Congratulations on that. How long is, how long have you been in that position? Um, 2010. So about 11 years. Um, good for you. So I worked in sales for a few years and operations and kind of cut my teeth and the wine business. And people think it's all glamorous. It's the least glamorous industry. I swear. Like you're like schlepping boxes of wine around New York city. Like everything's heavy. Things break. And like mm-hmm. half the time you're dealing with these wine buyers and liquor stores that are like, you know, functioning drunks or yeah. like, or rude to you because they see a million sales reps every day and they couldn't care less. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's like an abusive job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and I, was, and I would assume that the clientele, like the end user are like these hot, like hoity toity yeah. super snobs. Well, yeah, you get a lot of that. You get these people that mansplain a lot because like they uh-huh. know more than you about wine and of course and, like, Ugh. Yeah. like, <laughs> like i have no patience for that wow. but anyway um so the yeah. big question here is you're you're running this winery you're you're hanging out where does the canoe building fall into what's going on in trent's life right <clears throat> excuse me well, at, at the, this uh, point you're already choking up and you haven't even heard the story. Well, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> it's that it's that freaking South Dakota time. weed he that I was in. He has a hard time speaking yeah. to people. He's not a people person. Shut He's up. great with himself on camera, but other than that. No, dude, I do like, seriously, 15 <laughs> takes for everything. 15 takes. <laughs> yeah, so well, that's what, like Roy said, that's what you're most known for. I mean, that's what I've seen. I've actually seen your truck before. You oh, yeah. Tr- you have a Chevy truck. I, I go, I've went to Long Island a bunch of times and I've actually seen your truck, not knowing who you were or anything about Stalker, stalker, watch out, watch out. Yeah. Just driving around. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Wow. And uh, that truck is awesome. Seriously. Yeah. It's very cool. Yeah. That truck I was obsessed with, um, Mm -hmm. for a couple of years. It's a 54 Ford cab put on top of a 91 Chevy Suburban chassis. That's awesome. Wow. Uh, so it has an extra long bed because it's a yeah. suburban. So it's a nine foot bed instead of a five foot bed. Um, and I got it from an old guy that lived in the neighborhood. Like it was broken down and rusted and sitting in his front yard for years, like yeah. weeds growing around it. And I put a note in his mailbox that just said, like, if you ever sell this truck, here's my number. And he called me like within an hour, basically. And he said, wow. his, wife, his wife was so pissed at him because like they need the money and He's yeah. like 80 years old or something, and he couldn't bear to get rid of his truck. And I said I would take it off of his hands for him. So that's anyway, cool. Yeah. All you listeners out there, stop what you're doing right now. Go to Presler Woodshop on Instagram. Start scrolling through his feed, um, and you will see exactly what we're getting ready to talk about. Several rows down, he's got a picture of the Ford. And let's get into like the big, big question of how yeah. you got into it. And then also – You've had lots of articles written about you where the headline is $100,000 canoe. I mean, yeah. Yeah. That, that's fucking oh, nuts. <laughs> it is nuts. Um, I, right. Oh, God. Let's go. Okay, okay let's go. So, uh, <laughs> oh, my God. Um, <laughs> I don't know where to – here's the thing. So I was working yeah. this winery job, 
Yep. And, you know, like the more you work in kind of, I think, any industry, the higher up you get, the less you deal with the reason you got into it in the first place. So right. being mm-hmm. CEO, I was like signing checks and firing people and, and like sort of drifting farther away from actually making wine or growing grapes and doing things with my hands. And, um, you know, which was one part of my sort of disillusionment, I think. Um, but then also I had been really estranged from my dad for about 14 years. Um, I mean, we, we spoke once in a while and we mm-hmm. saw each other once in a while, but it was just never yeah. like, you know, I mean, he was one of those stoic kind of cowboy types. Um, yep. I don't know if you've seen Yellowstone, that show with like Kevin Costner. I heard uh, about it, but I've never actually seen it. Yeah. It's like, he's like that. It's like, uh, routine, okay. you know, just a quiet reserved cowboy. He was a Vietnam vet and I think he got really kind of fucked up in Vietnam. He, well, I know okay. he did actually. He was, um, he was exposed to Agent Orange. He was a, a uh, sniper. And um, anyway, wow. he um, called me uh, to invite me home for Thanksgiving in 2014. And I had not been to South Dakota in uh, at least eight years um, at that time. Um, and I decided to go. And I road tripped out there because I had just bought a new car and I had a new puppy. And uh, I went out to South Dakota. And when I got there, I realized that he was very, very sick. Um, he had cancer, and but he had never really explained how bad it was. Um, but okay. we had Thanksgiving dinner, and um, the very next morning, the day after Thanksgiving, he uh, had to go in the hospital, and um, he never came out. And I um, basically, uh, on his deathbed in the hospital, I um, we were just chatting, and he said he had put some stuff aside for me in the garage back at the house. Um, and I said, all right, well, I'll get it at Christmas. I was still in complete denial that he was actually dying. Right. And um, uh, so I left and I went back to New York and I said, I'll come back at Christmas and I'll look at whatever shit you put in the garage for me. And yeah. mm-hmm. um, so I left South Dakota and he died a couple of days later. Um, oh, my goodness. And so I never really had a chance to talk to him about it or say a proper goodbye. I was just so obsessed with my career at that point And we had been so disconnected. Right. That. I don't know. I just, uh, and this is all in the book, <laughs> yeah. you know? And so anyway, I went back for his funeral and, uh, mom took me out in the garage and showed me and he had left his toolbox there. Um, and you know, and some other things, he was the kind of guy that kept all kinds of shit in the garage, like old yeah. coffee cans full of screws and nails and, um, seeds. He's, you know, seeds. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and he, to make money when the ranch wasn't doing so well, he was a farrier. So he would do horseshoes and oh, cool. horse hooves. Yeah. So we had a lot of like farrier tools, like rasps and files and, and different kinds of hammers and stuff. And so mom said, well, this is it. This is your inheritance. <clears throat> and this is what you were too busy to, you know, come check out. Mm. And, and it just, you know, it hit like a ton, a ton of bricks. That that yeah. he was, that's why he called me home. And right. uh, I was just kind of blind to it all. So um, I there was one more revelation, which is in the book. I'll, it's a spoiler alert. But um, at the day after the funeral, we were cleaning out stuff in the basement. And um, we found like a shoebox that had been taped shut. And um, it was for his Vietnam stuff, which when he came home, oh, from man. Before, he told mom, like, you know, he sealed it up and put it in the basement and told her not to open it. And so we opened it and we found that a bronze star medal. Um, and we found uh, security clearance papers uh, from Vietnam, like wow. top secret stuff. Yeah. Um, so we suspect that he was actually, he might have been 
somehow pulled out of the army into CIA because he was work. He had papers that were sending him into Cambodia, into the Coochie Tunnel Network, and like there was just this mysterious box that made it seem like maybe he wasn't in Vietnam doing the stuff that he said he was mm-hmm. doing. Yeah. And he had never told mom or anyone that he had won a bronze or had been given the bronze star. He just kept the whole thing secret. So it was like this treasure treasure box. Yeah. Like And you got all that, that in the book? I got all that in the book. The book so, he's uh, talking about, that Trent's talking about, is called Little and Often. If you go to his Instagram, right in his bio, you can go to what is it, HarperCollins? Yep. And uh, you can order his book. Go read it. That sounds fascinating. We don't have to dive yeah. too much more into that because I don't want to give too much more away yeah. that's in the book. That's all in the book. Yeah. And the, the short story is that I, I drove back to New York with his tools in my car. That's and, awesome. And I was living at the time in a house right on uh, the ocean in New York. Uh-huh. And I decided um, I wanted to build something with his tools to honor him. And I decided in a crazy moment that I was going to build a canoe. No uh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> and and we're talking about the your wood shop at the. So I've been following you for several years, and I remember you taking the road trip to South yeah. Dakota. I believe I believe you were on Instagram. At, yes. Okay. Yeah. I don't well, that was my, another trip, my, I think. But yes. okay. So you've been to South Dakota a couple of times, but yeah. So the wood shop that you're talking about that you built the canoe in, it's this little kind of awesome shack. I remember the wreath that you put on the door. Yeah. So yeah. so so quaint. And just like very New England esque, like if, yeah. if someone thinks about, oh, I'm gonna go build a canoe in upstate New- or on Long yeah. Island, that's the shack, or that's the building that you want to build a canoe in. Yeah, it's an old. It's actually the blacksmith shop for the village. Oh, of um, course no it is. Kid. Yeah, of course it is. In the, yeah. in the 18, Fuck, fuck's sake, come on. 1820. Uh, so it was built in 1820. It was used as a blacksmith shop for that's many years. That's awesome. So um, and I started renting it in 2015. And then so. you ruined it by starting to do <laughs> yeah, work in there. Exactly. That's great. That's Fuck fantastic. Off, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> but the first boat I built in my living room, I had this oh. like, yeah, like I didn't have a wood shop. This first canoe, I was so clueless. I'm telling you, I had never used a saw. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was just like, absolutely had no idea what I was doing. I'm really? Lucky I, I'm lucky I still have my fingers. Uh, well. I want to I want I want to stop you real quick because I think this is fascinating. I've talked to a couple of guys over the years about you and building canoes. Is that you don't have a traditional wood shop even to this day? It's not a traditional wood shop where you have all this equipment. Yeah, you're you're doing things very simplistic. Like you have like uh, something that puts a cove uh, on your strips. Yeah. You're you're. It, it's just amazing yeah. the precision that you can achieve with very few tools. It's mm. very impressive. Well, yeah, it's very stripped down because I'm not, I'm never going to kid myself to think that I'm going to build furniture or a table. Right. Yeah. I can't make a right angle or a flat surface to save mm-hmm. my ass. Like canoes are kind of forgiving because it's all curvy. Yeah. And, and like a lot of it's eyeballed and, you know, you can kind of fudge along and, and you have to have precision. But at the end of the day, you're shaping it too by hand. Mm-hmm. So yeah. a- across like 18 or 20 feet lengths. Um, so yeah, my shop, I, I didn't sort of buy all the traditional tools that you think you need to start a shop. Um, mm-hmm. I just got the tools that, you know, I needed to make little strips to put together a canoe. And part of my realization was that dad's tools were totally inadequate for that task. Like, uh-huh. you know, like horseshoeing stuff. And like, there were a few things that I used that worked, but, you know, I was naive and thinking like, I'm going to use my dad's tools to build this. And like, 
then there was the guilt of like, well, dad was this <laughs> broke cattle rancher. Stopped yeah. right. <laughs> this isn't going to cut it. So I had to like quickly ramp up and like figure shit out on my own. And I watched YouTube videos and read books and um, yeah, and threw this one together. And, and my book is that journey. So my book takes place in one calendar year. It starts basically with dad dying and me getting the tools and it chronicles the, the next year of me building this boat step by step. And then I have, every time I use one of dad's tools, I have like a flashback to remembering when he was using it on the couch. Oh, that's a nice uh, tie-in. Very yeah, cool. Yeah, so there's a lot of, it's almost like two simultaneous books in one. Like you're uh -huh. Trent, this is a fucking movie. This isn't a book. <laughs> <laughs> well, you could, Hollywood could make a movie. You need to talk to Mr. Newline and get that <laughs> Well, so, Chris, I know you don't read any books, but on the cover yeah. of his book, on the cover of his book, he just posted it. Um, right. There, there's a quote by Elizabeth Gilbert. She was uh, the author of Eat, Love, Pray, okay. uh, Eat, Pray, Love, and more importantly, the book The Last American Man about Eustis Conway, which is fucking amazing. I know right. you've never read a book in your life, but no, if you if you have a if you need <laughs> to read a book, everyone listening, go read Last American Man by uh, Elizabeth Gilbert. So for her yeah. to put something on Trent's fucking book is huge. Yeah. <laughs> like that is very impressive. Thanks, man. Yeah, I'm I'm you know, sort of the most humbling part of this has been writing this book for two years and then sort of letting it go and letting some people read it. And Nick Offerman also read it. And Offerman oh, my really, goodness. Really nice blurb for the back cover. Um, so for those so. listeners, as we're talking about this, Trent Pressler has gotten a huge smile on his face and he's kind of bopping around. Like you can see the excitement. Like this is a big deal. It's cool. Yeah, it's very Congratulations. Cool. That's fucking awesome. Thank man. you. Thanks, yeah. guys. I'm really, yeah. It's exceeded my expectations at every stage. Like um, when I, you know, writing the book was a lot like building the first boat. I had never written a book either. And so yeah. I was like, all right, how am I going to do this? And I, I got an agent and then I got a publisher. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, the story itself is so golden that it's like, just don't fuck it up. You know, yeah. <laughs> like the, the yeah. narrative of like getting my dad's tools and this amazing gift from him that I then really changed my life. I mean, it. I started building canoes and, and I really enjoyed it. And then I did, as you mentioned before, the $100,000 canoes. I, um, I have sold uh, three canoes and that is the price tag. Um, Hot and <laughs> fucking dog. Yeah, that's cool. So, and you know, the reason that came about was that there was an article in the Wall Street Journal magazine yeah. in 2016. And the editor called me right before printing and said, okay, we're just doing the final fact checking. And she, I just, she, I have one more question. Um, so how much does it cost? And I said, well, it's not, there's no price. Like I built it with my dad's tools. Like, yeah. you know, it's not for sale. I'm just an artist, all this shit. And she said, well, if that's all true, I'll have to pull the article. Cause like it's the wall street journal and everything's for sale. And our readers expect that if there's a feature what? story about you, Come on. there oh, should okay. be a number. Right. Yeah. So she's like, call me back. You have an hour. And I, freaked out and I, yeah. called the, I called the owner of the winery the new line cinema guy yeah. and he was also uh the board on the board of trustees of the museum of modern art in new york of course he, so is. he was like a course big collector yeah yeah i said i told him the whole situation and he said well first of all if you price that canoe anything less than a hundred thousand dollars no one will take you seriously wow because <laughs> he's like <laughs> he's, yeah he said it took you a year to build it 
and yeah. it's like super precious to you. So like, you know, it's a year of your it's life. It's a hundred grand. A so hundred yeah. grand, like, yep. you know, minus taxes and labor, right. blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like a mm-hmm. living wage, like whatever. And yeah. he, he said, you know, maybe it should be 250, but like start at a hundred. And I was like, well, most wooden canoes, first of all, very few people build them, but I, most of them are, are not quite in that stratosphere, but um, no, they're yeah. not, not to take anything <laughs> away from you, but hand, hand built canoes don't typically go for a hundred grand. Yeah. No, I mean, there's not that many even around, like most people just kind of have to make them for themselves. But yeah. anyway, long story short, I hung up the phone. I called the wall street journal back. I said, all right, it's a hundred thousand. And she, without flinching, she was like, great, thanks, that's everything, it'll be in next, next Sunday's paper. No she, had no she had no idea. Yeah, right? Okay. Right, so then yeah. on, it was the Sunday of 4th of July weekend, and I, like, I went into the city, I was staying with some friends, and that morning I woke up at like 5 a.m. and walked down into, they lived on like 34th Street, close to Times Square in Manhattan. I walked down and I like went to find one of those corner bodegas that was open to buy the Wall Street Journal. Right. And so I'm like, got the paper and I'm like flustered. I'm like flipping through it. Like, where's the article? Where's the article? And to my total shock and horror, I flipped to the page with the article and it's the, the, the headline, the headline. Said, said basically, uh, the hundred thousand dollar canoe. Oh mm-hmm. my god! <laughs> like that was the head. And wow. I was yeah. mortified. I'm like, <gasps> oh my god! Wow. At that point, I hadn't sold one. I, and then I was like, oh fuck. And then that became the story. Yeah. And then like a couple weeks later, Esquire magazine called, and they were like, oh, we heard you're the guy that makes the world's most expensive canoes. <laughs> I was like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So I mean. Anyway, so yeah. you had you probably felt like very, uh, you know, like you were kind of show showboating around a little bit, I guess. Yeah, but yeah, exactly. Yeah, but. and then I sort of shitting my pants, like, well, I gotta make this real. <laughs> so, yeah. So whenever I was reading on your website, um, I put a list together, and I'm gonna hold this up for you. So mm. here. I, I wrote down all of these articles that you came out in. They're yeah. New York Times, Esquire, Wall Street Journal, International Wood, Mountain Living, Financial Times, and like 10 others is what I put on there. <laughs> yeah. All because yes. of the $100,000 canoe article that came out from the Wall Street Journal. Yeah. Fucking basically. amazing. Yeah. Fucking just, amazing. <laughs> and this it's is just, fast. Like, you yeah. just, like 2016? Is yeah. that when the first article um, went up, I guess? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I built that first one in 15, and then the first right. article came out in 16. And then, um, yeah, it just snowballed. I mean, like... So are we building boats full-time now? Or canoes full-time? Um, I'm doing it probably, I would say, half-time. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, so I work, like, two or three days a week at the winery, and then two or three days a week building boats. Well, And then I basically took a year off to write the book. Um, mm-hmm. Awesome. Uh, a year off, and that was even harder than building a boat, I think. Yeah. But, um, and- and you were kind of absent on social media during that year also, too. I, mean, yes. I noticed that your posts had had gotten a lot, you know, spaced out a lot, much yeah. more than they had been, you know. Yeah, I had to tune it out. You know, like, Instagram, I love Instagram. I have so many great friends from Instagram, including you yeah. guys. Like, people I would never have known. Don't call Chris right. right. Don't call Chris <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But no, that's it, true. That's, the, that's my favorite yeah. thing about it is the community. Totally. Yeah. yeah. I would never have met other canoe builders or woodworkers or I mean craftspeople like it's such a wonderful corner of the internet yeah and people are really supportive of each other like because they're all interested in in craft craft yeah craft, you know yep. 
And um, so Instagram kind of gave me life. Um, I mean, I first started Instagram to post pictures because mom wanted to see progress on the canoe. Oh, <laughs> right. okay. <laughs> She's like, yeah. I never know what you're doing. And so I started it doing that and it kind of just took off. But yeah, I had to folk tune it out for about a year when I was working on the, the last drafts of the book because I just yeah. was so overwhelmed by it. But So can we talk about yeah. your Instagram page for a little bit here? Sure, yeah. Because that's how I found you. Um, and for the guys listening out there, every picture or video that Trent puts out is a fucking home run. Yeah. Um, you've got it's the really setting. Good. Like a couple posts back, you had a picture of a little house on this huge bluff, and you're like, yeah, I own that house now. And I'm like, <laughs> how the fuck does this happen? Yeah. And then you're like, you're showing the shipwreck. Um, oh, yeah. You're right. showing, you know, your 3D sketches of the caper that you're building and, you know, your yeah. progress shots. Like, everything that you do, you put out there is, for me, it looks like it's very, like, you have intention with every post. It looks very clean. It's wow. very well curated. Um, and it's very consistent. Um, yeah. And that's what drew me to your page so many years ago. It wasn't just that you were building really cool canoes. It's like the whole scenery you had. The beautiful pictures. Yeah, Yeah. beautiful pictures. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Well, yeah, it's, um, I don't know. The thing about Instagram is like, I've had, you know, love-hate stuff with Instagram because they (laughs) changed, you know, obviously. They changed the algorithm around. Like, when I first started, it was like the Wild West and I would say Uh something and like, things would go viral like pretty easily to have a video with 2 million views and like what's yeah. on, you know? And so for a couple of years I was getting like 500 new followers a day. Like it was insane. And, mm-hmm. um, and then it like all turned off like a spigot in 2019, I think, or 18. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Facebook bought them. And, um, so now it's like, I have to post for myself and my friends and not because I like worried about absolutely going yeah. viral. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I always just try to share of myself, like, and I, you know, like, I'm not a big, um, I don't know how to say this. I'm not like a big sort of how-to DIY guy. Yeah. I was getting know? ready to say that. Yeah. I swear <laughs> I was. <laughs> like, I know that has a place uh, on Instagram and YouTube and whatever, but I'm like, right. I'm not there to, like, give step-by-step instructions, but exactly. I do, like, to kind of pull back the curtain a little bit on the mystery of how these canoes are made and, and yeah. my life my life by the by the sea and um just try to keep it beautiful and you know i have deleted sometimes i'll delete a post if it kind of flops or i posted at the wrong time of the day and like nobody likes it and i'm like because you just get sunk uh, mm-hmm. by the instagram by the yeah. algorithm like you know and like sometimes posts go wild and sometimes they don't um but Anyway, ultimately, does it really matter? Does it really no. matter, Trent? You no. got fucking articles in like 27 <laughs> fucking magazines. <laughs> Nobody gives a shit if your videos go viral. You're, be, you're so much bigger than Instagram. Yeah. Come on. You have actually published articles about you. That's amazing. That's amazing. Uh, well, yeah. Thanks, don't go, don't go chasing uh, Instagram and the followers and the likes and all that yeah, shit. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, no, pretty it's, much pointless now too i mean just like you said with the algorithm and everything it's pointless what what goes viral or you know what gets out to the audience not necessarily get go viral but what gets out there to the people you actually want to reach yeah you know that's what sucks about it is like there's probably tons of craftspeople. i've never seen one of your posts i've never seen one i just i just started following you the other day when roy brought you up and i was like oh i've heard of this guy 
because we have right. a mutual friend, uh, Jimmy Duresta in upstate. Oh, yeah. Sure, I go yeah. to Jimmy's place every now and again throughout the year. And, um, yeah, I, I had known about you. I, like I said, I saw your truck, and I was like, I've seen this guy's truck before when Roy showed me <sighs> mm-hmm. your, showed me your That's profile. That's crazy you've seen it in real life. That's yeah, wild. in real life. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, I have it's a picture like, with Jimmy. It's only like four or five hours from where I'm at. Yeah, you know. it's not that Yeah, far. I go to uh, my buddy Chris Zepp lives in Seacliff. Oh, sure, and yeah. I got another buddy that lives in uh, Orient. I, I believe it's Orient, Long Island. I think Orient somewhere is really yeah. close to me, actually. Yep, yep. Yeah. my buddy Mike lives up there. Huh. So. Well, yeah, man. we'll have to meet in person someday. Oh, absolutely. Soon, but, yeah. Hey, motherfucker, uh, I've been try- I tried I for uh, several times to come to your fucking place, and you blew <laughs> me off every goddamn God. time. <laughs> when was that? I remember. Now I feel it was like really three guilty. Year, like three years Turn ago. Up. I don't blame you. We're buddies, and I don't want them to come to my place ever. <laughs> yeah, you motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. You were you were in so, the Hamptons, right? You came I was, to, yeah. For yeah, like we a weekend? Or... Yeah, my wife, uh, she, we used to travel up in New York quite a bit for her business. Um, yeah. And I tried swinging by your place two two different times, and you're just like, you know what? Go fuck yourself. I don't have Really. Oh, no, no, I'm so sorry. idiot. <laughs> no, our schedules didn't line up. It's it's perfectly fine, but um, well, next time for sure, or I'll come see you. Actually, how about that? So for fair, all the, fair enough. For all the wood guys and girls out there that are listening, what what is your go to? Because um, I know you've worked with all different species of wood. What is your go to species of wood like for doing canoes? Like, what is your personal? favorite um, i guess well uh, western red cedar is so beautiful easy to work with soft mm-hmm. like butter um even it's not even cedar americans have no idea like what they're even working with like western right. red cedar is actually um in the uh, cypress family it's okay. basically a giant arborvitae tree it, it's not a cedar the only true cedars on earth are in uh really israel um so even Eastern this Red fucking, Cedar. This fucking guy's got a PhD, Roy. Seriously. Don't be your eyebrows. He knows what the fuck he's talking about. <laughs> oh, my God. So like a PhD. <laughs> even like you, aromatic Eastern Red Cedar. That's uh-huh. juniper. It's not cedar. It's juniper. No and kidding. Like, yeah. So who and, fucked up all the names then? <laughs> well, so it all goes back. There's a little... Stupid uh, Americans. Stupid, stupid I Americans. Know, right? <laughs> There's this little aroma molecule called cedrol, and that's uh, okay. what smells like cedar, and it's okay. in the oils and the plants. And so yeah. I think people just were like, if it smells like cedar, it it's, must it be must cedar. cedar. It uh, must be cedar. Uh, okay. But um, okay. most of the cedars here are really cypress or um, arborvitae or juniper. But anyway, western red cedar is the best, really, for making canoes. It's very lightweight, you know, yeah. flexible. Um, my new boat, the Caper, which is like a modified skiff canoe hybrid, I'm making that out of sapili, which is just mm-hmm. gorgeous, like clean grain. Sapili? Sapili, yeah. Where, where does that come from? A um, bunch of different places. The original sapili mahogany came from West Africa. Um, no uh, kidding. It's like true mahogany is virtually extinct at this point um okay I mean, not extinct but like you can't not commercially logged as much um, gotcha so sapili is a real good boat building wood and it doesn't have um uh, the grain is just very consistent so it's easy mm-hmm. to work with and but western red cedar if you steam that a little bit or heat it up you can tie it in a knot like wow interesting piece of licorice yeah huh. so, so can we talk about the woods in the ombre canoe yes um so i made a canoe 
Uh, I used seven different species. So I don't use stains and dyes. Okay. Right. Okay. Like there's so much color variation in the plant world that like, I don't think you should have It's not necessary. Yeah. It's not necessary. And you know, with your, with your axes and everything you've done, like every wood is different. And so I made this ombre canoe where an ombre is the French term for like color variation from light to dark or dark to light. Ah, okay. It's used a lot in fashion or like women's hair. They'll have ombre, yeah. like like a sort of subtle color change from top Make to bottom. Make it work. Right. right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had this canoe and it was um, uh, black walnut. The darkest ones were black walnut and ebony. And then it gradually got lighter as you went up the hull of the canoe. So in the lighter woods, I had western red cedar and uh, Alaskan yellow cedar and basswood, which is like almost pure white. Mm -hmm. um, I had some aspen, which is like halfway between, it's like a little yellow tinge to it. Um, I mean, I was throwing everything in there and even some Xeracote and some Purple Heart too, but it turned out wow. pretty great. I sold that to a client in the Hamptons uh, last year. For 200. Yeah, exactly. What's the scale of these things? You said anywhere from 15 to 18 feet long? Is that, did, I, did I hear that? Yes. Right? The first okay. canoe I made was 21 feet. Um, Holy shit. Which is massive. Like, yeah. It's like, way, it's basically like a trekking canoe for yeah. that you you know it's totally impractical and i didn't know what i was mm -hmm. doing and so i thought at the time so why not build the gonna... biggest one ever right exactly go big or go yeah. home right I'm, I'm I'm like, like, if it doesn't yeah. work out i'll just sell it to the crew teams yeah <laughs> yeah exactly like wow and then i realized afterwards that like a more functional canoe would be 15 to 17 feet okay. um so my new the ombre canoe was uh 16 and this new caper skiff I'm making is is also 16, and and then my zebra wood canoe is um, 17, so that's wow. much more easy to handle for one person. Um, and and you kind of work on several different <clears throat> parts at different times, like you have a whole bunch of things kind of going on at once. Can you talk about that process? Yeah. So I mean, the title of my book, Little and Often, refers to this process. Like boat building is a lesson in patience, and you uh -huh. can't like Rome wasn't built in a day, or like you know, bricklayers have to go row by row. Like I'll put on a strip of wood and clamp it and then let it dry and then come back the next day and put on another strip of wood. So I like to have a couple boats going in the shop at once so right. that I can okay. you know, maybe clamp four or five strips and then leave and come back the next day and do another set of four or five. Mm -hmm. And then if I um, finish uh, laying up the strips on one, I can sand it and work on the fiberglass while still gluing up the other one. So it's just, right. huh all these incremental steps that take yeah. forever. And that was the hardest thing for me in building the first canoe and the big lesson of my book, which I can't give away, but like <gasps> <laughs> the patience part of it. And like, I wanted everything. I wanted to mm -hmm. snap my fingers and I was so yeah. fucking frustrated that I couldn't make this work. And right. I mean, I really struggled in that first canoe and I almost gave up a couple of times. And, and finally it's like, it beats you into submission. Yeah. Uh, like boat building, like, there is no other path. Like you, there is no shortcut. Like yeah. you're laying up these strips, one by one, and then you have to sand it, which takes forever. Um, and fair, they call it fairing the hull to kind of smooth out the surface. Um, mm -hmm. You think about strips are long rectangles, so when you glue them together, you've got all these facets yep. where, the where the rectangles meet, and so you've got to plane those off and sand those off, and then you got to fiberglass it. Um, and of course, I had never worked with fiberglass either, which was a total disaster. But um, like, you, know. <laughs> you had like no formal training in this, though, Trent. No, like no, not at all. you just dove into it and just dove in. 
you know, and, wow. I, and my mom always said that your dad could build anything. And, mm-hmm. wow. and I always kind of thought it was like a ditch, uh, like a yeah, yeah, diss yeah. on me, you know, uh-huh. like, well, fuck you. I can build everything. Right, too, right. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy. What's so, the time frame like on one of these? Like, how long does this take from start to finish? Um, I've been doing one a year. Uh, but that's, okay. I think mostly cause I have a day job, so it's not yeah. like a full-time thing. I think okay. if I were just doing canoes, I could probably do one in maybe three months, three or four right. months mm-hmm. full time. But you know, it's also like I'm 43 and it's hard. Welcome it's to the hard club, baby. Work. Like, yeah. yeah, my God, like my, you know, from sanding, like the repetitive yeah. nature of stuff, my wrists, my back, like, yeah, <laughs> I kind of like that it takes a year because I, I can <laughs> rest and recover. Hey, listen, motherfucker, first world yeah. problems. You're selling a hundred thousand. I know, right? yeah. get over it. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Shit. So I, I got a, I got a couple other questions for you. Um, yeah. uh, so all of the brass that you put on there, and then I don't know what that that big mechanism, if it's a sexton or a gimbal or whatever the fuck that oh, thing was yeah that was a gimbal compass but um like a nautical compass basically. yeah 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 so, so i like used, go ahead yeah i mean that was just over the top like i just right. i wanted to bling out the canoe basically mm-hmm. i mean throughout history canoes have always reflected the time and place that they were built so and you know we started out i mean obviously the the first nations and native americans in, invented them fascinating thing was like people humans invented canoes all around the world you know thousands of years ago with having no co- no connection with each other no communication right mm-hmm. we all invented they had the they had to get across the water yeah. yeah yeah you know like and they would and like the polynesians built these canoes and they would take them across the south pacific for yeah. seven months um and anyway so like but they used the materials they had available so it was right. like animal skins and um uh spruce tree roots and bear tallow to seal and all kinds of stuff and um and then the you know sort of white european settlers came in and and basically took that model and kind of modernized it a little bit with some different materials and now today um you, you know so until recently i would say until about 20 years ago people were still making canvas canoes and using um, different materials for sealing them. And now, with epoxies and fiberglass, it's kind of revolutionized right. the, the whole thing. Because my canoes, the wood is only a quarter inch thick. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can have a really lightweight, an 18-foot boat that only weighs you know, 60 or 70 pounds because wow. it's like a quarter mm-hmm. inch thick. And the fiberglass sandwich over the wood just is like super... Rigid, and all of your but, brass embellishments is a quarter of that weight. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So going back to your question, then I was like, I'm gonna pimp this fucker out, right? So yeah. I put on this, like, I was, I was like, okay, I'm gonna put on a big compass, and I got this like yacht compass that's mm-hmm. six inches across and made of bronze and crystal bezel, and it costs a couple thousand. I wow. put that in, and then I hired a local uh, metal worker to build. They're called cutwaters, but it's that front. Um, right. piece of the canoe it's like you know that would break the ice and a Viking yeah, yeah yeah um and he used a lot of bronze to do that it was like the equivalent of i don't know six bronze medals or something but wow um we we cast it to shape like he made a clay mold and then cast it at a foundry and um that's on my on some of the photos on my instagram too um and again that's over the top like you don't need to do like a giant <laughs> yeah. bronze cut water but it sure does look badass was so, this all, is this a custom order? Was it just something in your head you wanted to build? Or how does that um, process work? Does somebody come and say, hey, can you build this? Or do you just build it and then sell it? 
Well, both have happened. So the first, okay. the I built that first canoe, and then it got so much press that I did my first client called, and he's a gentleman living in Switzerland, okay. and he had he had read about it in the Financial Times of London, and he called and said, "I'm reading about your canoe right now, and I want to buy it." And I said, again, like I said, Holy you can't shit. buy that one. That's the one I built with Dad's tools. Like, yeah, that's crazy. Right? And he said, then I want you to build me a replica. Build me one that looks just like This it. is the first guy that called the you. The first, first customer. Some rich yeah. head in Switzerland. Yeah. yeah. Holy this is guy. it. And he sa- I said, all right, well, there are 100,000. It'll take yeah. me a year. And he said, yeah. he said, fine. And he like wired me. I'll take me. two. Can I, can yeah, I pay yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He sent me a Venmo for 50 grand. But, yeah. Um, so, yeah, he sent the deposit. And I said, all right. And I worked on it. So that one, so that one was a replica of the first. And then wow. the next two that I sold were just, I built them on my own, just mm-hmm. with my own sort of creative vision. And then yeah. sold them just as is, you know, sold the collectors just like, they didn't have any customization options. It's like, mm-hmm. here's the boat you're getting or you're, you know, or Whoa. not. So, um, so here, yeah. here's a question for you. If Trent Presler is just hanging out on Instagram or whatever, and then you notice someone else selling a hundred thousand dollar canoe, <laughs> or you're like, what the fuck, what's going on here? I set the standard. Like, yeah. What, like what? Like, uh, because again, a hundred thousand dollar canoe is not normal. And for someone yeah. to come swinging out of the gate with that kind of a price tag, yeah. who doesn't have traditional woodworking experience, like, dude, right. you hit the fucking home run of home runs here. So <laughs> if someone else tries to do that, what, what, what's your opinion of them well, and their process and their product? I mean, there's the phrase, lots of luck in yeah. New York. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think it's such a hard thing to do to make a canoe at that quality level that if they really think they can do it, um, good for them. There isn't really much of a market for it. So, um, I mean, so you've got well, the market cornered. Yeah, I mean, not a lot of people <laughs> interested in that kind of stuff. But yeah. I mean, I will say, like, I'm not naive to the fact that like my work stands on the shoulders of all the guys that came before me that built canoes mm-hmm. and going back hundreds of years and even. Recently, you know, a lot of the guys like Nick Schott in Rhode Island or Gil Gilpatrick in Maine um, uh, and Newfound Boatworks in, in New Hampshire. Like there were a few key canoe builders that I really like, you know, relied on for advice. They've written books and, um, you know, I'm, I don't want to like have the 100,000 thing take any credit away from them. So right, absolutely. Like, mm-hmm. likewise, if someone else came along and could kind of do it because I paved the way, then I mean, that's the way of the world in some ways. And it, but but also, like, you got to deliver the goods, right? So, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I've seen a couple guys on Instagram start canoes mm-hmm. with a lot of energy and enthusiasm and then, like, watch it peter out. Right. <laughs> After a couple of months, they just, like, the posts get This is way too much work. <laughs> yeah. There's yeah. one friend on, on Instagram. I won't name him, but... Um, He's a buddy of mine in Indiana. He's been working on his canoe for, I think, going on three years now. Wow. And once in, a, once in a while, he'll post a post and he'll be like, yeah, here it is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> two, two more strips on. Yeah, exactly. He like, have it. Woo. Yeah. I mean, Jimmy, Jimmy Duresta built one and uh, used some yeah. of the same wood that I – I actually stored some wood in my shop for him that he came down and got that he used to make his canoe with. and. Awesome. Um, you know, and he, it was beautiful, but I, I think him and Nick Offerman too, like mm-hmm. people yep. that like it's a lot harder than you think it will be. Um, and Nick's turned into a great friend, actually. I'm going to do um, like a live stream with him on the release date of my book on April 27th. 
Wow, um, awesome. Yeah, and he's, you know, he built his canoe for the finale of Parks and Recreation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, which came out the same winter that I started to build my first canoe. No and, uh, kidding. Yeah, like it was wow. February and it was a blizzard and I had just decided to build this and was like freaking out. And I saw him paddling it in the, the final episode with yeah. Amy Poehler when she like makes him park ranger. And paddles <laughs> yeah, in the that's fucking yeah. awesome. <laughs> so great. And I was like practically weeping like he's he did it. I can do it. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to do that. Wow. Yeah. So... Anyway, it's a crazy, so, crazy thing to attempt. Do you think, do you think, last question here, do you think um, being on Long Island, location, 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 kind of helped propel you and, and, and like, oh, sure. Got you. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. if someone's doing this in South Dakota, they're not going to, like, the opportunity <laughs> isn't yeah. going to be there as it is on Long Island and close Let to the Let me tell city. you something. Yeah. The ditchweed business is probably better in South Dakota than the canoe building business. <laughs> but you get what I'm saying. You get my yeah, question, Completely. Right? Look, yeah. I mean, it's the reality of America and the way yep. like, the media works and obsession with, like, 90% of media is in New York City, right? Yeah. And, like, you know, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, they're all based there. Yeah. And a lot of those writers are freelancers that live here. They follow. I mean, the way the first article happened was that writer followed me on Instagram um, because she had come out to the Hamptons or something, and like, yeah. I don't know, my whatever canoe picture popped up on her feed. Um, so I do think, you know, what's that phrase like? Opportunity is when you're in the right place, at the right time, or yeah. hard work coincides like with yeah. um, with preparedness. Yeah. And I think for me, um, you know, coming from where I did, which was like virtually nothing in South Dakota, yeah. come to New York and make a career for myself here and then be in a position where this could blow up because I was in the right place at the right time. I, I feel very fortunate. And um, uh, but, yeah, New York's a beautiful place in that way. I mean, a lot of people ditch, the, you know, sort of whatever, say whatever they will about New York City. But like the yeah. concentration and the density of, of really smart and cool, talented people here. Right. Is really, it's, it makes it such a fascinating place. And you can do something and get attention for it. And then like somehow it snowballs and get like this critical mass. Um, yeah. And that's unique in the world, I think. It's certainly unique in American life. Um, but... I also, you know, I live on the water. I'm 80 miles from Times Square, and you'd never know it. Like you saw yeah. that, mm-hmm. that post a couple of days ago, my new house on Instagram. Like, it's just trees and beach and sand, yeah. and it's totally wild, you know? And there's, like, humpback whales outside. Yeah, water. Long like, Island is you know, crazy like that. Yeah. Like, depending mm-hmm. on what part you go to. You can be completely in the ghetto, or you can yeah. be completely mm-hmm. in farmland. It is oh, totally. bizarre. Yeah, and yeah. it's literally 30, 45-minute drives apart. Like yeah. it's that it's that much of yeah. a difference. It's really crazy out there. Yeah, fascinating but, place. Yeah, yeah. It has um, I don't know, five million people or something like that. Um, yeah. But spread out over 120 miles, and and it's the that, worst place on the planet to drive. That yeah. in New York City. <laughs> yeah, there's one way in and one way out. That's oh, it. Yeah. <laughs> it's the it sucks. It's the only like interstate highway in the country I think that dead ends. Like it oh, yeah. ends on the tip of Long Island and there's right. no. You know, That's no one it. where I live on the North Fork of Long Island, they say like no one's ever just passing through. Oh yeah, like, oh, yeah. you know, 
when you you got to be going no such thing there's no such thing yeah Yeah. (laughs) somewhere you're going to land's end basically trent you are a fascinating fascinating guy (laughs) i'm dead i'm honest Uh, honest to god serious with you this he has been fighting me for a year to get you on the show he's like i'm not getting something on here look Trent Pressler, go to his Instagram right now. Go follow Trent, okay? He is a genuine guy. He is extremely fascinating. I wasn't aware of this, but the book isn't out yet. I thought it no. was out. April okay, 27th. So We're April doing 27th. Now, though, so. It's called Little and Often. Again, the link is in his profile. Thank you, thank you so much for doing this podcast. Thanks, You're going to make a lot of men and women happy out there. Thank you. Because they're used to listening to a bunch of knuckleheads talk to ironheads. <laughs> and we finally got a, another fantastic wood guest on. Thank you. We cannot thank you enough. Thanks, guys. Thanks for popping my uh, podcast. Podcast Terry. There we go. I like oh, it. Oh, God. I like Seriously, it. thank you for coming on. Uh, I've been following you for a long time, and it, it has been a truly a, a great pleasure talking to you and finally yeah. meeting you. And Absolutely. And Watch out for tetanus on that shipwreck. I'm serious. <laughs> I will be real careful. And All next right, time man. you come to Long Island, the drinks around me. Fuck Hell yeah. Thanks, guys. All Thank right. you very much, Trent. For myself, Chris Kaiser, Mouthfield Metalworks, and Roy Scott from Vintage Axe Works, this is a wrap on the Axe and Iron Podcast.